Live from Chatterbox Sports Studios, it's Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman. Well, 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 good morning, good morning, and a pleasant good Wednesday morning. We call it Hump Day for some reason. I guess you're getting over the hump, ready to roll into the weekend. Man, is it cold here in greater Cincinnati. We have had some cold days recently. This morning has been the coldest, and I'm not sure what the temperature difference might be between standing outside on High Street in Hamilton or sitting in this studio. Yeah, we're I mean, to- what is the deal? Seriously. I mean, I bring in nice clothes to wear in this place. Everybody's sitting here with sweatshirts on and hoodies, jackets over there for Lindsay. We're not even fifth, probably 59 degrees in this place. Casey, you're a, you're, you're a fix-it kind of guy. Yeah. What the hell is going on? Um, Tom, I just think that the, uh, the duct in this place is just not uh, put together very well. And, um, it's about the ducts. The HVAC, it's just not, it's just not it. It, it. There's something wrong because out there, it feels great. Yes. I mean, just I mean, right literally 25 feet from where I sit, it is perfect on the other side of this door. But you don't care about our problems. I don't blame you. Welcome to Off the Bench, presented by our friends at United Dairy Farmers. We come your way Monday through Friday, 10 hey. to 12. Hey. You can join us on YouTube, the Chatterbox Sports page. We also broadcast live on X at Seabox Sports. Or if you'd rather join us in podcast form, by all means, just search Off the Bench with Tom Brenneman and you're dialed in. Now look, you know, over the last couple of years, most of us have spent very little time talking college basketball in January. The Bengals, of course, dominated every conversation, and rightfully so. I mean, they were in the playoffs, two AFC championship games. We wondered, could they win a Super Bowl? We're still wondering that. This January, however, is very different. The Bengals, as we know, didn't even make it. But UC and Xavier are playing. And right now, they are playing well. Last night's sellout crowd, I mean, the announcers of the game, I don't know who they are. I never heard of them. But all they talked about was Fifth Third Arena was the loudest building they have been to this year. And they do games, two games a week, they said, in the Big 12. The UC Bearcats get their first ever Big 12 home win, 81-77 in overtime. And what a win it was over the 19th-ranked TCU Horned Frogs. A TCU team that rolled in here with back-to-back wins over Oklahoma and number two, Houston, a battle-tested TCU team. For the first five minutes, the Horned Frogs looked like the best team in the country. They're reigning threes. They scored 20 points to open a double-digit lead. But Wes Miller's team stayed the course, settled in on defense, started to chip away. Day-Day Thomas had his best game as a Bearcat, a season-high 20, yes, He missed some layups, but when it mattered, he was money. Scored five points in the final 45 seconds of regulation. Same for John Newman III. This dude is a warrior. He registered a double-double. He shut down Emmanuel Miller. And after missing big free throws against Texas last week, he drilled two big ones in OT to seal the win. Next up, number 15, Oklahoma, comes to fifth third Saturday a one o'clock tip five miles down the road similar story for x they started slow then exploded on a 20 to 3 run en route to an 85 71 big east win over butler 
The young Musketeers are starting to see some progress, especially at point guard. Davion McKnight is quickly becoming a difference maker. He scored 14 of his season-high 20 in the first half. He's averaging almost 14 points per game over his last nine. After a 21-point performance against Providence, Des Claude pours in a career-high 26, 9 for 9 on shooting. X goes to 9-8 and eight on the year, will host 8-9 and nine Georgetown Saturday before back-to-back -back road games against nationally ranked Creighton and UConn. By the way, those two teams play tonight. Elsewhere, number 21, Dayton goes to 14-2, beating St. Louis. What is going on at Indiana? The Hoosiers, who beat rival Purdue twice last year en route to a second straight NCAA tournament appearance, were completely blown out of their own gym last night by the Boilermakers. 87-66. Zach Eady goes for 33 points, 14 rebounds. This wasn't even competitive. And is big-time college basketball now? Does it reside in West Lafayette and not Bloomington? Legitimate question. In the MAC, Miami lost, Ohio University won. In football news, the Atlanta Falcons not sitting on their hands in search of a new head coach. After interviewing Bill Belichick Monday, they did the same with Jim Harbaugh last night. Apparently, Harbaugh is looking for some kind of immunity of termination deal at Michigan. Should the NCAA hand down severe penalties in that alleged sign-stealing scandal? Stay tuned on that. And the Cleveland Browns clean house on the offensive side of the ball this morning. Kevin Stefanski fires his offensive coordinator, Alex Van Pelt, running backs coach Stump Mitchell, and tight ends coach T.C. McCartney. And let me get this straight. The offense had four quarterbacks. They won 11 games. The running backs room was solid after Nick Chubb was injured. And David Njoku was one of the top tight ends in football after Joe Flacco showed up. Those are the three guys that are fired? All right, we got lots to talk about today. Let's get right to it with Marty Brenneman, the Hall of Famer. We have Sports Illustrated's James Rapine coming up later. Dad, good morning. It is very early where you are in bright, sunny Arizona. How is it out there at the uh, well, Reds Fantasy Camp? If everything is great, Tom. I answer the bell. When you call, I answer the bell, pal. It can never be too early for you and the Emmett Kellys of the world who are currently not on camera. <laughs> well, there are a lot of them out there. There are a lot. In fact, there are a lot of them in the studio. Uh, Elliot, do you know who Emmett Kelly is? No. Dad, you want to help Elliot <laughs> with that? I uh, am actually, uh, Elliot, when I made that comment, I was not talking to the people who are watching this show. I'm talking yeah, about the people that you you know what I mean. I know, Emmett I Kelly know. is the most Emmett Kelly is the most famous clown in the history <laughs> of clowndom. He was a great clown for Ringling Brothers, Barnum and Bailey Circus forever. Do yourself a favor because you don't have anything else to do right now is get your phone out and just Google Emmett Kelly. Two M's, two T's. Okay, that sounds good. Thank you. All right. We got that. Okay, you're welcome. Um, <laughs> well, I mean, how is fantasy camp out there? It's been going on. I, I imagine that's what, a couple more days left? Yes. <clears throat> got today, tomorrow, and Friday. It's been um, – I, I've told people before, this is only the third or fourth time I've been out here. I went to the last one in Sarasota, and then I've let, gone. This is, this is the third, uh, fourth, rather. And it's uh, 
it's an amazing week. It's just an incredible week where they have 144 what they refer to as campers out here, uh, guys that pay a, a considerable amount of money to come out here and be Reds baseball players for one week. And uh, they play games all day long, uh, heading toward the championship game, which will be roughly around 3.30 or 4 o'clock tomorrow. And then on Friday to close out the entire week because everybody have a big dinner on Saturday, Friday night and everybody goes home Saturday. Uh, Friday, the pros play the, um, uh, the campers. And they take the best of the campers teams, and I think that's how it works, and plays uh, – plays in professional players who are former Reds players who are out here as instructors in the camp. The weather has been delightful. Last year, the weather was horrible. It rained a lot. Uh, this year, uh, the temperature today here in, in uh, Goodyear is going to be somewhere in the neighborhood of 70, 71 degrees. Tomorrow, it's going to be around 74, and Friday, it'll be probably between 75 and 80. So things are very nice out here. As you well know, having lived here all the years that you have, the sun shines a whole lot more than it does in most other places. Yep. And uh, when you have a beautiful day here in the desert, it is really a spectacular day. Uh, some people were making the comment in the chat about you being so tan. Uh, I remind them you are in Arizona. You just said that, but just as a reminder, they were wondering if you were hitting the tanning bed at all. Uh, I, I, I don't do that. Uh, that that's not part of my regimen. I, I would love to know which one of the Emmets asked that question, um, because I don't, I don't get I don't get in the tanning bed. Um, hey, I, I, just moments before the show, we became aware of this new. Uh, th there have been reports for a long time about Amazon basically taking on all the debt of Bally's. It's known as Diamond Sports, owned by Saint Clair. Sinclair. We can go on and on with that whole thing, but. The bottom line is it's starting to look like, um, you know, for some of the teams for a while there last year where MLB had to step in and, and broadcast their games and produce their games, it's starting to look like now Amazon is becoming a major, major, major player in sports. You know, Apple and some of these others have sort of dipped into it, but between the Thursday yeah. night football package and now this thing, they're right in the middle of not only baseball, foot, uh, baseball, basketball, hockey. They're right there. They're one of the major players now. Well, I don't think there's anybody in the world who is better able to finance something like this and, and, and handle it from a, a purely financial standpoint. Uh, I'm sure that uh, – and this story has been rumored for months. Yeah. Um, I say months. Probably, uh, I probably was made aware of it maybe seven weeks, two, two months ago, I'd say that Amazon could very well become a major player in this deal. And I guess if baseball is looking for someone uh, to take that concern, that problem off their table and, and come up with someone that they can feel very satisfied with and confident that uh, from a, a financial standpoint, you're not going to have to worry about Amazon going bankrupt. I don't think like Bally is. Um, uh, it's going to be good, I think. Uh, you have to qualify it because you never know, uh, you know what, what's going to happen. But it certainly is going to be something that will allow baseball to find themselves again from a broadcasting perspective and, and not be concerned about the, on a day-to-day -day basis if the outfit who has 13 or 14 of the clubs, however many Valley has, is going to disappear 
and 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 cause baseball to foot the bill or the clubs generally having to do the same thing. So I think anytime you have Amazon coming into the picture, it certainly would seemingly be a good situation, I think, for baseball. Well, I mean, look, you know, you talked about the money Amazon has. Everybody knows about that and Jeff Bezos and so forth. And, and, and you know, the one thing it does do if you're Bob Castellini or ownership in any market where all of a sudden you had a contract that said you were going to be paid $50 million a year, just pick a number. And now all of a sudden you're yeah. wondering if you were going to get any of that uh, or part of that. And you're trying to do your budget and figure out what your, you know, payroll might be and all those kinds of things. This certainly gives a lot of people some peace of mind. Oh, there's, there's no question. Um, and, and that includes the broadcasters. I mean, they're, they're guys that, you know, when you talk to any club uh, it, that falls under this umbrella, uh, you say, what's, we know what's going to happen in 2024. I mean, the Reds were going to be on Bally unless something changes radically, and all of a sudden it becomes Amazon. I don't know how quickly this whole thing would come to fruition, but uh, we all knew that the Reds were going to be on television in 2024 anyway. Uh, but when you talk to people, well, do you have a job beyond this year? And, uh, and, you know, most of the answers, if not all of them, would be, um, we don't know what's going to happen beyond 2024. Well, now they seemingly have a pretty good handle. And uh, it's, as I said before, it's one less thing that baseball has to be concerned about. It's, it's one less thing uh, that the individual clubs who are involved in this thing have to be concerned about. So I think it's going to be a good thing. I really do. All right. I want to ask you, you know, I, I, I still have a hard time understanding, and maybe you can help me with this. There is such incredible optimism about the Reds and what they did last year. Nobody saw it coming. What they've done during this offseason, I'm not sure how many people saw that coming. Uh, yet the, the bookmakers in Vegas, now you can say that these are the same guys that had the Reds uh, win total last year at 65, and we know they blew right by that, getting to 82. But even with all of these signings, there has been virtually no movement on that win total. Uh, they're sitting right around a 500 team. And any reason why you know you would look at that and think that about this Reds team with the young players they have and the changes they've made on a positive note in the offseason? The only thing I can figure out is that baseball, I mean, I'm sorry, the gamblers in Vegas are betting without coming out and saying it, that the old sophomore jinx is going to kick in with this team. And that is the, the abundance of very talented and in 2023, very productive major league players in their rookie years. Uh, the, the term sophomore jinx came from baseball. And that is that guys that play so well as rookies, uh, more often than not, have a letdown from a productivity standpoint in their second season. Uh, we saw Jonathan India. He was rookie of the year and then fell off badly his second year for whatever the reason. Um, and I, that's the only thing that I can I can gather uh, from the fact that uh, as far as the gambling industry is concerned and the prognosticators dealing with the gambling industry, they're not, they're not impressed with what the Reds did last year. They're not impressed with uh, the additions that Nick Crawl has made to this club going into 2024. Um, and that would be the only thing that I can surmise from the fact that they have not been impressed by what the Reds did in 23 and what they've done to try and improve themselves for the coming season. 
it's 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 perplexing to me um but that's the only thing that i can think of that's that's it nothing else okay all right let's get off into some other topics here you know uh, it's weird all the years i lived out in arizona my, my first year that i moved out there i went and bought season tickets to arizona state basketball and i went to the very first game and there weren't a thousand people there I couldn't believe it. Bobby Hurley has gotten them moving in the right direction, but it's been an up and down. University of Arizona, meanwhile, always great teams. But I always felt like during college basketball, you were out in Never Never Land out there in Arizona because there just doesn't seem to be the fire. They're following the Suns and all that kind of thing. Back here right now, we talked about it in the monologue. Boy, there's a lot happening again on the college basketball front. Did you watch UC at all last night? Uh, I did not. Okay. I was uh, occupied. I did not see. I kept up with it, and uh, I, I was with them on my telephone uh, for most of the uh, last minute or so of the game and also following what they were doing shot by shot in the overtime. Uh, so I was there at the end, although not watching on television. I was following what they were doing. Yeah, I mean, it's so exciting. I mean, every game they play, it's just, it, it, it's unbelievable. But this whole college basketball season, you know, one, one thing I wanted to ask you about a little bit, though, is, and I asked about it, uh, or I brought it up again in the monologue. Indiana basketball, you knew Bobby Knight, uh, all of us remember, that are old enough to remember, that this was perennially a top 10, if not top 5 team every single year. Uh, Mike Woodson's come in there a couple years, gets to the tournament, makes a nice little run in the Big Ten tournament. But, I mean, they got annihilated last night by Purdue. And this is not a good Indiana team. What is going on at Indiana? I don't know. I, I um, you know, I was really pulling like the Dickens for Mike Woodson to to be successful there. I, I He was a great player at IU. He uh, acquitted himself incredibly well as a professional player, um, and 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 the fact that he had a desire to to leave uh, the coaching ranks in the NBA uh, to come to IU, and I felt like it was a it was a win win situation for everybody. Now I'm starting to wonder a little bit. Um, I don't know if the if the administration is. Uh, strong enough in favor of having a winning, a, a, a successful program, not not a, just a winning team, but a successful team like they were during the Bob Knight era. And and and, and really uh, nothing has ever been more consistent since Coach Knight left there under a very bad conditions. And, uh, and, and they've never been able to put together a long string of successes like they had when he was there. Now, I'd be the first to admit that this is a different game uh, from the one that Bobby Knight dominated back in the in the 70s and into the 80s in Indiana. It's not the same game. Um, I don't know, quite honestly, if Coach Knight's tactics – well, I know they wouldn't work if he were coaching today. Basketball would not put up with the things that IU and, 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 and the Big Ten and, and the college basketball world put up with back when Bob Knight coached at Indiana. But there's no reason – uh, why they should not be a prominent program. You take all the other great programs, uh, the the so-called blue bloods, as people like to refer to them, the Kentuckys, the Carolinas, the Dukes, um, uh, the schools like that, uh, Kansas, uh, 
they rarely ever have a string of years where they don't perform well mm -hmm. uh, or, or, or not only perform well, but perform well as far as a national contender uh, or not, maybe not to that extreme, but most of them are, are opening every season with the idea that we can get to the tournament and maybe make a run and win the national championship. Indiana cannot realistically do that right now. And I think it's incumbent upon that school and, and that administration, quite honestly, their athletic program is nothing to write home about, period. When right. you talk about the big two, the football program is, is very mediocre. And they are, and that right now, the basketball program appears to be headed toward the same thing. I don't know whether there's a commitment on the part of the administration that would be necessary uh, to make this school uh, one of the great programs uh, athletically on the collegiate level today. But I think what happened last night, uh, obviously they had no answer for the big guy in the middle with 33 points. Uh, other schools have played him pretty well this season. There have been games in which uh, they may not have shut him down, but they've yep. done a heck of a lot better than what happened last night. So I think they've got real problems up there in Bloomington and hopefully for the good of the university and for the good of the Big Ten. I think it's important for them to perform well in that conference, and right now that's not happening. Well, in our chat, we get a lot of questions, too, about Kentucky. And uh, you spent time down there uh, for a while anyway, broadcasting their games on television. That's been a long time ago. You know, we, uh, yeah. we, 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 we joke around about Cal and all this kind of stuff, but the bottom line is this guy has not been to a Final Four since 2015. And here we sit in 2024. Do you think that for the first time there's legitimate pressure on Calipari to deliver the goods? I mean, they haven't gotten out of the second round since 2018. I, I think – I don't know about the – I don't know if there's pressure. Well, for one thing, his, con, con, his contract is so ridiculous that there's no way on God's earth uh, that if they fire him down the road, if, if, this, if this inability – to perform at the tournament level continues, uh, there's no way on God's earth that they can afford to to fire him and pay him. Now, we know that there are a lot of other coaches down the, uh, in the past that have had incredibly large contracts, and then they negotiate that final figure. And if that were ever to occur, uh, I think that would have to happen in order for them to separate themselves from Calipari. Do I think there is support or there is pressure from a fan perspective, for this club to do better than what it's done since making it to, uh, to the Final Four in 2015, absolutely, unequivocally, no question. This team is incredibly talented. I mean, they have there is very little, uh, very little negatives about this ball club, um, and 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 the talent that it has when you stack them up against the other schools that have realistic expectations of making a, of making a run at the final four. I don't know. There's anybody in the country from a depth perspective that has more talent than he has. Um, and so I think there's definite pressure depending upon where that pressure might be coming from. But I prom I can promise you this as sure as we're sitting here talking today, if this team loses early in the tournament and we're operating right now on the assumption that they're going to make it, but let's assume for the sake of argument that they make the, the 64 or whatever the number is now, and they lose early in the first or second round, the outcry from the uh, so-called Big Blue Nation 
is going to be louder than it's ever been before. Their expectation is, and I think most uh, year in, year out, quite, and it may be true of other schools. I know it's not true of Carolina, uh, at least in the last few years. But their fans think they're supposed to go to the Final Four every year. I mean, their, their, their expectations in a general sort of way, to me, are completely and totally unrealistic. Um, but that's the nature of the beast. That's the nature of being uh, a, a part of, of Kentucky Blue when it comes to basketball. They have to make a real run. And I'll be honest with you, they could make a very good run in the tournament and not make it to the Final Four or make it to the Final Four and get beat in the semifinal, national semifinal game. There'd be fans that would be very, very upset <laughs> over that and want his head. And so I think it's a tough position to be in, but the, the, the numbers are the numbers. And it's irrefutable that they've not gotten there since uh, it, it, this would be nine years. Uh, since 2015, they have a lot on their plate and they have to perform and the fans are not going to accept any excuses. I hear you. I hear you. Um, here, here, one quick question here comes from Alex before we uh, go around the room. Alex would like to know, Marty, who would you prefer to have dinner with, Jim Bowden or Scott Boris? <laughs> I would prefer to have dinner with Scott Boris. Um, I'm going to try to make that. I'm going to try to make that happen this summer. Because as you know, I mean, I have I a good would, relationship have, with Scott. I, I I would like to try and make that happen. Well, you suck up to him. I don't uh, suck that's up the reason to him. why you have a good. I friend. do not suck up to him. I you just suck let up to him, him. I let him state his case for things that I disagree with that I tell him, and I've shared with him point blank on this show. Three or four times where I've said, you know, I, 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 I have a hard time understanding this one. And I let him try to explain it. But I, I think that that would be a good dinner for this summer if he's in town. I would, I would look forward to that. I, I um, you know, I used to refer to him as the Antichrist on the radio. <laughs> and Jesus there were Christ. members of the Reds baseball operation that felt I should not use that term anymore. Because they had to deal with him. And I guess his ego... Uh, if I had been Scott Boris and, and I had a guy like Marty Brenneman uh, referring to me as the Antichrist, it wouldn't bother me one bit because I've got these kids and I've got made a lot of money for a lot of young men uh, in baseball. So it, yeah, I wouldn't go to the ball club and say, hey, you got to get him to stop saying that. And I believe that happened. I think that he expressed a dissatisfaction with me referring to him as the Antichrist. And then he said something to somebody at the ball club. They, in turn, said something to me. And I was basically asked not to say it anymore. I will say this. And this may be a compliment. He can take it any way he wants to. I don't care. Um, as agents go, there's never been a better one. Uh, the, you know, what he's done for his clients is incredible. Do I think he gives a damn about the game of baseball? I do not. I really, truly do not think he does. I think he has too much power. He has too much input with various ball clubs and, and, and gets his point across through subtle means of intimidation. Uh, I don't agree with his approach as far as representing his clients. I think there's never been a better one. And, you know, back in my day, and when I first arrived, there were Jerry Katz, I mean, uh, 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 Tom Rich and uh, Jerry Capstein. Jerry's a dear friend of mine, even today. Um, they, were the, the, they were the pillars of that industry. 
they were the forerunners that have created the situation that the Scott Boris's of the world deal with today. Um, I just, I, yeah, I'd love to have dinner with him. I really would. I really would. Okay. All right, we're going to try to make that happen. We'll find out if he's coming into town. All right, let's bounce around the room a little bit. Reed, we'll begin with you. Anything for the Hall of Famer today as you sit and wait for your Cubbies to do something, anything? Well, the Cubbies made a lot of moves. Some say the more moves than, uh, than the Cincinnati Reds are. Hi, Marty. How's it going? I'm all right. You? I'm, do- I'm doing well. Um, so I, you said you didn't catch the Bearcats game last night. After they won the game, they stormed the court. Now, I would like to hear your opinion on um, students storming the court after winning a home game that you were favored in and supposed to win. Well, I mean, uh, every time I see it happen, I, you, I'm, I'm reminded of the term that, that Paul Brown has, uh, God rest his soul. Uh, you know, he told his guys, you score a touchdown, act like you've been there before. Don't lose your mind. And I and I and I'm I think that that is applicable as much to students storming the floor uh, as anything there is in sports. Just just act like you've been there before. Halfback runs into the end zone, scores a touchdown, turn around, hand the ball to the referee, and go onto the sideline. Don't jump up and down and do stupid stuff. Um, obviously, most people don't agree with that. And I can understand why the excitement would have, was at the level that it was when they have a nationally ranked team uh, come into their home and, and, and they win in overtime. That was a great, a great win. And I'm, there's no bigger fan of Wes Miller's than I am for a lot of reasons. Um, I think he's going to be incredibly successful at that school. I think he's shown signs of it now. Uh, um, but, you know, just be rejoice in the win. You don't need to storm the floor. Couldn't agree more. I'm sure that had you, wait a minute, I'm not done yet, Emmett. (laughs) Had you been there, you would have stormed the floor, wouldn't you? I can promise you, as a Xavier Musketeer fan, I would not have stormed the floor, Marty. Not a a chance. So actually, go ahead. Well, I was going to say, the the reason I wouldn't storm the floor, I wouldn't even do it at a Xavier game, is because Xavier has been there before, unlike uh, Cincinnati. Well, I mean, I, I, that's neither here nor there. I think that, uh, you know, I think UC's trying to get back to where they once were under Bob Huggins, and and um, and and I think they hired the right guy to get them there, from every every uh, every perspective, every every important attribute that it that takes for a guy to be a successful coach in whatever sport he's involved in. I think the college basketball uh, helped is incredibly good at the moment in Cincinnati because I've always had a tremendously high regard for Sean Miller. I think he's an outstanding coach. I think he's proven that over a lot of years, both at UC and at Arizona. And, and I think Wes will do the same thing at UC. So I, I think that, you know, when they have big wins like they did last night, uh, and especially in UC's case, because they were playing a nationally ranked team, then people should be happy about that. Um, uh, I don't know of another city in the United States uh, that it has the ability and 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 the and the feel from from their perspective campuses that have two successful college basketball programs like we have in Cincinnati. I think that's something to be very proud of. Yeah, I mean, last night, look, it was their first Big 12 ever conference win. I mean, look, I generally 100 percent of the time would agree with that storming thing. Last night. Elliot, you were there. We'll get to you here in a second. 
Uh, Casey, anything for Mr. Brenneman? Um, I was just going to ask about the uh, NFL playoffs. Um, do you have a dark horse team at all? Are you keeping track of it at the moment? Is there anyone that you, uh, you like know, at the moment? Thanks for a sane question, Casey. I appreciate that. Um, <laughs> you know, I, I, don't, I don't know. To me, well, I, yeah, I'll be honest with you. I was rooting like hell for the Steelers to win. Ooh. Oh, my goodness. I, yes. I, they all with Cleveland. I don't care about Cleveland. Baltimore, <laughs> I, I, I still think that if the, there is a so-called best team in the National Football League right now, it's the Ravens. Um, but I was really – I'm a big Mike Tomlin fan. Uh, I think what they did is incredible if you look at it objectively and all the problems and how bad they were early in the season – and to come to from that to where they ended up uh, with what a third string or fourth string quarterback yep. in Mason Rudolph, I was pulling for the Steelers to win the other night. Um, stunned at what happened to Dallas. Going to be interesting to see what Jerry Jones does with uh, Mike McCarthy. Uh, kind of surprised that Cleveland did not show up very well. Uh, but I, if I had to pick one team that I would like to see win now that the Steelers are out of it, <clears throat> I'd, I'd probably pick San Francisco. I, I, I like their quarterback. Um, I like the way they approach the game. And I think until somebody beats them now, and a, a su great Super Bowl, I think, would be San Francisco and, and Baltimore. I think that'd be a great Super Bowl. Lindsay, uh, Lindsay, say hello to my dad. You said hello last week. Hi. Hi, Lindsay. Very well, thank you. Lindsay, you have any questions for Mr. Brenneman? Um, no pressure. If you do, you do. If you don't, you don't. No big deal. At the moment, I don't have All right, one, fair enough. You save one for one, next week. Yes, Is that a I'll deal? She was fired up, though, you said, because she loves the Steelers. She grew up in Columbus, but, you know, she's a Penn State and Steeler fan. Go figure. Go figure. All right, Elliot. Here we go. Hi, Marty. How are you doing? Elliot. <laughs> I'm well. That's good. I, I Listen, I got a couple stupid ones, and I got one serious one. So what I'm going to do here, I'm going to start with one stupid, go to the real, and then go back to the stupid. So here's my first stupid. Okay. Uh, how much do you think Scott Boris could get me? I'm gonna, I'm, how I'm much look, he could get you what? Yeah, yeah, well, I'm looking, to, I'm, look, I'm looking to hire an agent here <laughs> real soon. I mean, maybe I'll jump to uh, 700 WLW, go back to my roots, uh, maybe get a better deal. Well, what do you if think? anybody – well, you're operating on the assumption that WLW has an interest in you. That's right. But, uh, well, it, we operate on the assumption if anybody could get you probably a good deal, it would be Scott Boris. I mean, I can't imagine uh, that just because he'd be going out of his comfort zone and, and leaving the world, uh, just maybe for one exception, your exception, leaving the world, of representing athletes to representing a guy who most decidedly is not, but wants to get a good deal, uh, a broadcast deal from a station or whatever the case might be. I think Scott Boris would be fine. He'd really be, he'd be as good yeah. as you could get. I th yeah, I think he could get me a couple mil. All right, uh, but here's my real question. Um, uh, the Reds' right field situation, we have Jake Fraley, we have Will Benson. Now, a lot of people haven't been talking about this duo, but obviously one of them is going to have to play more time. If one of them was a right-handed hitter, uh, it would be an easier situation because uh, obviously when a lefty's pitching, you put the righty in. But they are both lefties. Who do you see getting more time in right field, Jake Fraley or Will Benson? 
Um, <clears throat> I would, I, if I had to pick one of the two, I'd pick Will Benson. I'd pick Will Benson. I think from an all-around standpoint, he's a better player. Uh, Fraley, just like all the rest of those young players, did a wonderful job in 2023. But I, I'm, I'm a big Will Benson fan. I, when I saw him at the beginning of last season, and I, I could not believe that a young man could be as inept as he was. Uh, it, it looked like he was totally overmatched when he was at the plate. He was confused. Uh, And I'm thinking, how in the world could the Reds have ever uh, settled on the fact that this kid could play in the big leagues? Well, they sent him to Louisville, and you know what happened after that. He looked like a different player when he came back, and he maintained that level pretty much the entire season. He's a good outfielder. Um, I'm just not that I I think Fraley's not a good player. I think Fraley is a nice player. But I think if they had to settle on only one, and the fact, as you say, that they're both left-handed hitters, uh, they, it would be Will Benson. I would agree with you. I would agree with you. Now let's get to the stupid one. I was, I was, I woke up this morning, Marty, uh, and it's pretty warm in my house. I'm very lucky. I'm very fortunate to have a house with warmth. Yep. Um, I walked outside and I contemplated my existence, Marty. I almost ran straight back in. And when I got into my 2003 Chevy Impala <laughs> with no heat and I started driving my 40 minute commute to Hamilton, Ohio, there was a couple thoughts in my mind, you know, would I make it? Uh, what is all this for? I had so many, so many uh, introspective questions of why I was doing what I was doing. And I say, you know what, here's, here's the reward. When I get to the studio and my car is still 22 degrees uh, because the heat doesn't work, it's going to be okay because when I walk in my studio and into the into the sanctity, into the safe place that is our studio in Hamilton, Ohio, it's going to be warm. It's going to make me feel good about driving 45 minutes to work every day. But Marty, I swear to God, I'm colder right now than I've ever been in my entire life, and that includes this morning when it was six degrees outside. My my left ear is exposed because it's not inside this uh, headset. It feels like it's frostbitten. I could cut my ear off right now and I wouldn't feel a thing. If you, Marty, as a professional, as a Hall of Famer, as a legend, if you walked into the Reds radio booth in a March opening day game and it was 10 degrees outside and you and the Cowboy were getting ready to go and it was cold as shit in your studio, who the hell would you contact? Who would you look to yell at for this inexcusable display of heat and warmth? I'd contact Tim O'Connell. Tim O'Connell. Who's <laughs> they had a stadium operations <laughs> with a ball club. <laughs> and the conversation would not be pleasant. Um, I know I feel for your your problems today. Um, at the same time, I would wonder who is keeping the level of heat down to a to where it is no longer a comfort level in that building you're working in. Would Mr. Fowler have something to do with that? Nope. Nope. Well, nope. and coincidentally, Marty, he is on a Jamaican cruise out in the middle of the high seas where it's warm and sunny and everybody's, you know, wearing pom-poms and all that nonsense. So he's nowhere to be seen while we're suffering through this. Well, Tom just said in the background, no, he's not the no. guy that's responsible. Well, maybe. It's well, whoever they, owns this somebody building. Somebody's got the authority to turn the heat up. It's somebody who owns this building. It's this room. It's not the building. It's this room, as I said a little while ago before you came on, if you walk out of our door, 25 feet from where I'm sitting right now, it must be 75 degrees in there, right? 77. I mean, it's nice. The second you walk in here, 
you feel like you almost walked outside about a week ago. Not right now because it's seven. But about a week ago when it was in the, you know, the 40s. Well, is there something structurally wrong uh, with a heating unit in that entire building that would create that uncomfortable situation? I, there might be Marty, but I'm not much of a handyman myself. So uh, I'll sit. I'll sit. I'll, well, I'm I'll sit here and that. yeah, I bet you are. I, I'll, I'll sit here and, and wait for nobody to fix it and just complain. That's so I'll right. ju- I'm just a complainer. But that's all I had, Marty. Thank you and God bless. Thank you, Elliot, and the same to you and to Reed and Lindsay and all the rest of the Emmets that might be sitting around there, just eavesdropping on what has been a very, very uh, wonderful and enlightening conversation. Well, Dad, thanks so much for the time. Enjoy the sunshine in Arizona. I know the mornings out there are a little chilly. I like in the low 40s or something, but you're moving up into yeah. the 70s during the day. That's why Arizona really is a place to be because you can you can put on like what you have on right now, what I have on, and you can still you know, walk your dogs at night, build a fire, all that kind of thing. But the yeah. next day, you're in the mid-70s. It's pretty nice. Tom, I would be I would be remiss if I did not deliver a message to you. And that came from one of your favorite people and one of my favorite people who <laughs> I find myself drawn to him in moments of candid conversation amongst his peers. Yes, I know. Who so this is. I go into a conference room each of the last three days when they are having the campers are having lunch and we're in between the morning session and the afternoon session, because I know I'm going to hear one Lenny Harris yeah. whole court. Yeah. And it is worth the price of admission. No doubt. He will make you cry because he, you're laughing so hard. And it's been really uh, entertaining this year because of his relentless beatdown of one Brett Tomko. And it has been <laughs> spectacular. I'm not kidding you. And it never, never ends. It never ends. But he said to be sure and tell you, he said, hello. He thinks the world of you. Uh, he, he's one of my top three or four all-time favorite people in the game of baseball. You know, it's funny you bring that up because I feel the exact same way. He might be my favorite all-time guy in baseball. I, I, I just wish that, you know, when he came up, he was this big, hot prospect. Uh, they put him at second base. He did not play well defensively. He did hit, uh, and he eventually became the all-time pinch hits leader in the history of baseball. But this town never right. got to know him, Dad, because he was gone very early and very young in his career, and it's really a shame because when you look at guys, and, and I really mean this, when you look at guys um, that have played for this franchise, even going back to the big red machine. I'm not so sure there has been a guy with the personality that Lenny Harris has that people would have loved in this town. Like they would love Lenny Harris had he been a longtime Cincinnati Red. Well, I I couldn't agree with you more. Um, He was one of Tom Lasorda's all-time favorite players. And uh, and here's a guy who was not a regular player with the Dodgers. Uh, you know, he came off the bench. He basically did for them what he did for a number of other clubs, including this one. Um, he's just a breath of fresh air. And I think the proof in the pudding is that this organization thinks very highly of him. Uh, he's going to be back at uh, Daytona 
in, in 2024 as a coach and a mentor to a lot of young players who benefit from his instruction, who benefit from his advice. And I, I'd like to think I'd be still be around when the day comes that the big league club thinks enough of him to put him on this coaching staff because I think he can help players at all levels. Uh, but he has such a wonderful personality. Uh, he's just a very, very special guy. Yep, no doubt about it. Well, tell him I said hello today. You'll be back over there shortly. And uh, and right. uh, all the best. Safe travels. You'll be coming back to Cincinnati here in a few days, I hope, right? Yeah, Saturday. Okay. All right. Well, safe travels. Yep. Thanks for the time. Love you. Godspeed ahead. Thank you, too. See you guys. Take care. See you, Marty. Bye, Marty. Bye-bye. All right. There we go. There we go. There we go. I am going to say I disagree on the court storming thing entirely. I have no problem whatsoever. The environment you were there, I started to say last I was night. not there. I was not there. Oh, I thought you went last No, night. no, no. Okay. I, I mean, we've had some people in the chat here today, uh, some newcomers to the chat, and welcome, by the way, uh, that said they were there, and just the emotion of the entire game. I mean, that was a basketball game. Was it a perfect basketball game? No. But in college basketball, there is no perfect anymore. You have so many transfers. You have so many guys coming in. I mean, look at Xavier. They're just trying to get their feet under them. I heard Sean Miller talking the other night. Uh, on his radio show, about how, you know, with, with so many guys not only coming in and guys being young, but then guys that couldn't get in even after practices had started, that he has been unable to put in a lot of things that he wants to do, especially on defense. He said, look, he said, I, I can't throw 15 things at these guys because we won't be good at any of them. So what we've tried to do, this is paraphrasing with Sean Miller, he said, we've tried to just incrementally, you know, even the day of a shoot-around, I'm going to talk about our full-court press that we're start, going to start to put in more frequently after timeouts and after free throws. And it really, it, it struck me that, you know, that, that, that for those of us who just sit there and watch the games, there is so much more to it. Uh, and especially when you're, you're, you're trying to, to navigate college basketball. And look at this year. We'll start with Wes Miller's team. I mean, you had two big guys that you were counting on being an integral part of your team. Both had to wait and wait and wait and wait and wait. You basically have two freshman point guards in Jizzle James and Day-Day Thomas. Yeah, Day-Day Thomas played junior college. But he he's playing in the Big 12 now, right? And, and so, you know, you got... Frederick coming over, he's hurt. They've only used the same starting lineup three times this entire year. Recently, you've had Bandego out. You've had Frederick out. You've had young players that you're counting on stepping up like Skillings. And there are moments when he looks like he's one of the best players in college basketball. Yep. He does things that there are few players. He made two baskets last night that there are few players in college basketball that can make those shots. But you just don't see it consistently enough. But he's still playing regularly for the first time. So, you know, that's true for both of these teams, for UC and X. But, but back to the whole thing. Look, it was an unbelievable game. Unbelievable game. TCU came out, looked like the best team that's ever walked on the floor. Yep. They're draining threes everywhere. They got 20 points in less than five minutes. And you're thinking, UC is going to get run out of the gym here. But they keep hanging and hanging. I tell you, Elliot, the guy I like more and more I watch him, and I said this a couple of weeks ago, is Newman. 
This guy's got a body. There are very, very few people. There aren't football players who look like this cat. No, he's, he's, he's a beast. And, and, and I said it a while ago, but I really do think he's the leader of this team. And I've been looking for that uh, for the first, what will we, 18 games into this season. I, I've been looking for a guy to take over. Uh, and not even with, like, points-wise, scoring-wise. But he's a phenomenal defender. He locks it down, yep. locks whoever he's guarding. Uh, he locks him up. And, and, and outside of that, I think he's a, he's a senior. I think the fans love him. I think we all love him. He's a tough player. Nobody drives to the hoop stronger, faster, harder than, than, than John Newman III. I love him. I, and he had a career night. It was his career high in points last night uh, against a, a very, very, very good TCU Horn Frogs team. I, uh, the, the, the court storming thing, I'm going to talk about it more on Box Lunch. But they did not storm the court because it was ranked TCU at home. They did not storm the court because it was their first Big 12 game. They stormed the court because of what Tom said. If you watched the game, if you, if you didn't watch the game, to be, and I'm going to say this with love and respect, you have no reason to say anything about the court. Hey, there's no doubt about it. That is the, you're 100% correct. That's, these are one of those moments where if you didn't watch it, then you don't understand it. There were five seconds left in the game. TC would just miss the game-winning shot. We got a rebound, right? Dan Skilling's got the rebound. Fouled. Uh, an obscure foul to send us to the line with three seconds left. Misses them both. Our guy, Aziz, fouls them on an attempted rebound of the missed free throw. They go back to the line with two seconds left. They miss the free throw. We get it back. Half-court shot missed in overtime. This is just the last five seconds of regulation, not including what happened in overtime, which is a whole bunch of more chaos. That was the most stressful, uh, emotional basketball game I've seen out of Cincinnati in a very long time. They did not storm the court because it was 19th-ranked TCU at home. That is not why they did it. They did it because this team, this city, has been starving for UC to be good at basketball. Really, they have been. And after John Brandon, I say this with love and respect, but after he torched the program, we were, we, we've been praying for Wes Miller to step up and, and rebuild this back up. We've been patient. It's been two years. This is the third year. I, I, I was, I've been frustrated with Wes at points in this season, especially when he said free throws don't matter, and I'll get into that in a second here too. But that was an emotional basketball game. The, 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 the fans there, the city, the kids on the court, and that's who stormed the court, by the way. It's the student section, so give me a break a little bit. They stormed the court because it was an emotional game. Oh, 60 years weren't storming it. I don't, I don't care, I don't care that, that Xavier doesn't storm the court against anybody. That's your prerogative. That's fine. I'll take my $25,000 fine from the Big 12, and we'll move on. I, this, is, this is not a big deal. They storm the court. They have fun. God forbid sports are fun. Let's all pack it in and be curmudgeons when we watch college basketball. Give me a break. If you didn't watch the game, don't comment on it because that was an emotional basketball game and the kids were expressing their emotion. Should they have stormed the court? Who gives a shit? Who gives a shit? Because it's, exactly it's not the point. Right. It was an emotional game. They all ran onto the court. Oh, well. We move on. We'll move on to Oklahoma on Saturday at 1 p.m. And if they beat them, storm it again because at this point, the outrage with the storming of the court is pissing me off more than anything. I think Jack Butler is relatively new to the chat, and he, he talked about being here or being there at the game last night, and he said, point blank, he looks like he's a student, his picture anyway, if that's actually him. He says, the possibility of storming the court didn't even cross my mind until about a minute left in overtime. But look, there are issues they need to clean up, okay? <laughs> I mean, it was a great win. 
There are issues they need to clean up. A, they missed too many layups. And B, their free throw shooting is just atrocious. It's just, that's one thing I've never understood maybe more than anything in the world. I know that some people are just better shooters than other people. But you can become a decent free throw shooter with very, very uh, little help from other people. You just stand there and do it day after day. And I know they do it. I've been to the practices, going back to hugs and going back to all these other college games. Every team does it. But I don't know how many teams really, really, or players really, really, really work on their free throw shooting. And we've just seen, last night they were lucky to win. Skillings misses the two free throws, right after we had seen Newman miss the free throws against Texas. They, they could be right now 3-1 and one in the Big 12 if you just make free throws. Forget all the other stuff. But it is fun to see them back and uh, playing well. They go to, what, 13-4 and four now on the year. They're playing well in the league, the best conference, without a doubt, in college basketball. And, I mean... <laughs> Saturday, Oklahoma comes in. You turn around Monday night and go to Kansas. Huh. This is the biggest stretch in UC basketball in the past, I don't know, 20 years. I can't remember even in the Big East days when we had six straight ranked opponents like this, three of them on the road. And to get back, to, I wanted to touch on the free throw thing because it's pathetic. If I'm Wes Miller, honest to God, nobody's leaving the gym. They come into practice today, nobody's leaving the gym until they all hit 1,000 free throws because it's pathetic. You cannot miss free throws at the percentage that UC does. And Wes Miller said after the game, after the loss against, uh, um, who was it, Texas, that free throws don't matter. Free throws weren't the reason they lost. He might have just been defending John Newman after he missed the big one, and that's fine. That's a good coach. He's doing what leaders say. But – Listen, he said it. He said free throws don't matter. They shot 50%. Well, now wait a they minute. Shot you keep saying that. That's, you know, we talked about this now, Elliot. He, he didn't say free throws didn't he matter. Said, he, he said, said they were the, the reason they didn't. Re all he was doing there, we talked about it last That's week. That's fine. He was, and, and, he, and if you read the comments by John Newman III last night after the game, the only reason Miller said that was to try and comfort John Newman, who apparently was just a disheveled mess for three or four days after missing those free throws. He was really upset about it. And look, Wes knows his players, and he knows the situation. And he was just saying that those free throws did not cost them that game. And so I don't know if, if I totally – and then last night after the game, Newman says, hey, man, my coach has got my back no matter what. And I, and I give Wes props for that. I really do. But when I come in here and I have bad takes, I own them. I own, I own up to them. Wes Miller, again, I know he was defending them. But he said they didn't cost him the game. Tom, what happens if he makes both free throws? That's right. So Can't argue that, with and that. That's, and that's what I'm saying. So when we consistently shoot, now this is three straight games where you're shooting 50% at the free throw line. And one of our press, one of our press conferences, our, coach, our head coach says, free throws weren't the reason we lost games. It upsets me. It infuriates me because free throws matter. Doing the basic fundamental things matter. When I was watching Aziz Bendango yesterday turn the ball over like he didn't care at all, I was getting infuriated. They turn the ball over at a high rate. They miss a lot of free throws. If this team could settle down just a little bit, just a little bit and play up to the potential that I think they have, that they've shown this season, they are a tournament team. They are a bona fide tournament team. We know they're good. I know they're good. 
I know he might say otherwise, but I think it's a damn good basketball team. If you were able to do the little things right, you'll be fine. And that's what they haven't done yet so far. I, I, I Again, I credit Wes Miller. I credit everybody. I don't mean to be disrespectful or mean. But saying that, if you you got to do the basic things right. I can't have Aziz giving the ball out like candy to the other team. I can't have guys missing two straight free throws with five seconds left in a tie game. It can't happen, and, it, and it's inexcusable. Because that does cost you the game. TCU was terrible at the free throw line, too. They were 50%. He makes the one free throw with two seconds left. They win the game. It's no problem. Yep. So, so I just wanted to say that if you do the little things right, this team's damn good. There's a lot of stars on this team. Just just take your time a little bit when you have the basketball. All right, we're going to spend we're going to spend a lot of time uh after the in the 11 o'clock hour on the X game. We spent a lot of time here on the UC game. We're going to get to James Rapine here a couple of minutes. So before we do that, I want you to go ahead and take the uh the uh, break here. Colton by the way adds one thing. He said, "You turn it over 10 times, you shoot above 70% from the free throw line. UC would be blowing teams out right now." Correct. That's a fair point. All right, Case, take it away. Yeah, the Bearcat report that we just did was brought to you by Encore Technologies. Encore Technologies provides IT solutions for a data-centered world with a suite of services from mobile computing to desktop to data center, supporting both centralized and work-from-home computing modules to improve efficiency and productivity. Productivity! Path to innovation begins here. Visit Encore.tech. Let me tell you about this lovely bottle of water right here. Pawnee Water. Made right here in Hamilton, Ohio, uses natural limestone filtration. Unlike the artificial processing that the brands use, the result is a healthy alkaline water and some say the best tasting water in the world. Visit Pawnee Water at P-A-H-H-N-I-Water.com to see where you can buy this great tasting water. Get your coffee from UDF, drink lots of Pawnee Water to get that down, and uh, get your technology solutions from Encore. Here's what I want you guys to do. I want you guys, you're looking, at, you're looking at your screen, you're looking at your iPhone, you're looking at your, uh, your laptop, desktop, whatever you got in front of you, however you're watching this show, I want you to do something if you haven't done it already. There's a subscribe button. I want you to meander on over there, click it. Subscribe, like, leave a comment on the videos that we post. It really does help us. We thank you guys so much. Um, so I got to be honest here. We challenged you guys two days ago to get 50 comments, 50 individual comments comments on Monday's stream and we'd have box lunch for free today we didn't get there Alex Wallace thank you so much you put about 40 in yourself but we did not get to 50 that being said based off the passion that I've seen Elliot display in this first hour of this show today he is hosting box lunch today we are going to give you box lunch for free today because we love y'all you didn't you didn't meet up to the 50 comment standard but that's okay You'll get box lunch for free today, right after the show. Yeah, your participation trophy. That's what you're all getting. Correct. You're getting a little. You're getting a little participation. Listen, we love you guys. Just be sure to like the stream. Just give us a thumbs up on the stream. We really do appreciate. Chi Town says to look at his super chat and look at Reed while he does. Uh, he says, "I love supporting y'all, even if I'm left off chat power rankings." You're right. Chat power rankings is very stressful. It's very stressful. But we love y'all, Tasty. Very, very stressful. And I guess I'm doing chat power rankings this week. Yes. yes. So I have a very, very tough task ahead of me. I'm not looking forward to it because there's just – you all are just awesome. Just to be very clear, I, I know I made a little jab there, but you guys are awesome. We couldn't do this show without you guys in the chat. We really appreciate it. And 
if you want to show us even more support, I know we didn't uh, um, we didn't uh, advertise this in, in our little section here, but become a member. It really does help become us member. out. Um, it allows you to watch Box Lunch whenever you want on Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. Also, Casey, drop the Discord link in there. If you guys aren't a member of our Discord, we have a, we have a Discord. Uh, we talk after hours. A lot of betting goes on in there. A lot of uh, just general sports talk. Uh, we were talking about Chatterbox Bengals and the Bengals yesterday. We were talking about a slew of things. So be sure to, to get in our Discord. I, Elliot, you got in it yesterday. I did. I, I Every once in a while, I stumble on the app, and I, and I get in. So I'll be, I will be. I rode with some of Nick Kirby's bets. They all lost. But that's okay. We move on to Nick today. Nick Kirby bets? Yeah, Nick, Nick Kirby's a baseball guy. Oh, Tom, he bets more than you could possibly fathom. Tom. But how does he do? Probably he does. Good. He does. He Probably does good. well. He does well. Tom. He has this whiteboard about the size of uh, about the size of this this thing right here. Really. And he puts every single one of his bets about thirty a day. He bets on like thirty games a day. It's truly incredible. He's probably got action going right now. <laughs> you got to be kidding me. Yeah. He's. I think he's betting on uh, Adam Kunkel's over points in <laughs> Kazakhstan basketball. I think that's what he's betting on right now. So uh, yeah. It's join our Discord, like the stream, subscribe, all the things. We appreciate you all. People are wondering if you need a hug. Do you need a hug today? I might. Yeah, I, it would certainly help with the warmth issue that I'm that I'm dealing over you here. You know, in this it, it, I mean, I know we sound, but I, I just walked to the restroom, and it is like I could just crawl on the floor in that room over there and just go to sleep. It's so it goes, it's so cold. So what happened is when we agreed to come into so this used to be uh, a print shop for ohio casualty insurance uh, before the, the the great recession and it collapsed uh, the, the company collapsed or got sold or whatever and they no longer use this building for about 15 years 10 years or so and uh, they were repurposing it and headlines got in there they said hey would you like to uh we're gonna go into this space would you guys like to join this was a very last minute thing this room this studio so i don't think that they properly did the hvac for this room when they popped it up. Oh, I can second. assure you, you're right on that. Yeah, it feels like my pinky finger is about to fall off because of frostbite. All right, is James ready? Yes, he's ready. All right, we've got our good buddy James Rapine uh, kind enough to join. What do you got going there, James? You got the uh, you got the winter beard thing going? Season over beard thing Looks going? Handsome. What? Laziness. Oh, that's Just all laziness. it is? It's cold outside, and I'm, I'm stuck in, in the office. Yeah, laziness. That's all. So how long does that take, that growth you got going right now? I mean, how long, what, three, four, five days, a week, 10 days, what? Under a week, under a yeah. week. I, oh, wow. That's I told myself probably man. a day or two ago I needed to shave. So th this is yeah. just a, another sign that I'm, I'm a day or two over, overdue. You can't, you, you can't snuggle up next to your little one when you got that, that rough stuff on, on the face. That's, that's you right. Can't do that. You can't do it. That's right. She'll hit me instead, right? That's she's exactly she's right. in that phase. Um, you know, look, I, I'm going to, we, we have, you know, if you're able to come back and join us at a later time, uh, plenty of time to talk about the Bengals. I'll ask you one Bengals question, if you don't mind. And then I'd like to ask you about some of the other things going on around the NFL, because you're so in tune with those things as well. Um, tell me one thing, and I know this is throwing you on the spot. Tell me one thing you think potentially the Bengals might do that would shock all of us during this offseason. Or is there anything at all they would do that would shock us? Yeah, of course there is. And, and so I'll give you two. Okay. Because the first one I think would shock just because of what happened with Orlando Brown Jr. Yeah. 
But what if one of these top defensive tackles just kind of hangs out there longer than expected and they're not getting the the money that they thought they would get? And, and I'm not going to say it's Chris Jones, but let's just use Chris Jones for an example. If he's just out there for a little bit, would they make the call? Would they make it work? I, I, I think there's certainly a path to, to that, like that shocking signing. And I'm not saying it's it's Chris Jones, and I'm using defensive tackle because I think as of right now, that is their biggest need. The other one that I think would surprise a lot of people, and it would surprise me because it's not something they've done. And when you look at the blueprint, you look at their history, I think the most likely scenario and the most likely outcome for T. Higgins' future is you place the franchise tag on him and he plays out the 2024 season on the tag. But what if they tag and trade him? The thing that I've talked about, that I'm sure you've talked about, that a bunch of people have talked about, and you look at this wide receiver class, the draft class, it's pretty deep. You don't necessarily have to get a first rounder for T. Higgins to uh, replenish that wide receiver room. And if you know you're not going to pay him long term, it makes sense to trade him. I, I'm in that realm right now, and I'm in that, that ballpark. If you can't or you're not going to pay him long term, tag and trade him. I don't think the Bengals are there, but what if they get there? I think that would be a big offseason surprise for sure. Okay. All right. Well, that's, that's definitely a couple things that would, uh, I, I think, come as a surprise to many. Certainly the defensive tackle thing and the Higgins thing is just, I mean, there are so many arteries off that main vein as to what to do with Higgins. And, you know, do you have the one more go round with Chase and a healthy Higgins and Burrow, a healthy Burrow, and give it one more shot with the, the old band? Or do you, you know, start bringing in some new members of the band? But we'll get all of that as the offseason goes on. Um, let's start with a couple of things. Mike Tomlin made it known to his players and to the Steelers that he plans to come back next year. Uh, I, don't, I didn't think there was any way on God's earth that he was going to get let go by the Steelers. Uh, you didn't <laughs> think that, did you? No, I, I think it's interesting, the the discussion around Mike Tomlin. And I think it's a yearly thing. And I, I would expect him to sign an extension this offseason. But can he get a quarterback? Because Big Ben, those final couple of years, he was throwing like one of us. Yeah. He could not push the ball down the field. And he was moving worse than us, by the way. I have no doubt about that. And, and then you get Kenny Pickett. And there was no first-round quarterback in that draft. They take the local kid at 20 overall. And I get taking the swing. He's not that guy. Maybe he ends up being an okay starter in the league, but he's not a franchise quarterback. So that's what they need to find. I think they're fine at head coach. I think they're fine in, in a bunch of different areas. Obviously, they'll be on the, the hunt for an offensive coordinator, but they need to find a quarterback. So if I was covering the Steelers, that would be the focus. It would not be Mike Tomlin. Not shocked at all that he plans on being back, and I would expect him to sign a contract extension. All right. Now, this morning, we learned about the Browns. You're very tuned in with the whole Cleveland thing up there. I sit there, and yeah. I said in the monologue today, they fired their offensive coordinator who had to deal with four different quarterbacks this year and a guy sitting on his couch six weeks ago, right? And they still win 11 games. They fire Stump Mitchell, mm -hmm. the running backs coach. They lose maybe the best running back in the game after McCaffrey very early in the year in Chubb. I mean, Ford and, and, and Hunt did okay. Were they Chubb? No, but they did all right. And then you fire the tight ends coach, and Njuko was, was one of the best tight ends in the league after Flacco showed up. What's going on in Cleveland? I think this is such a cultural problem or issue, at least from 10,000 feet. 
I'm not there. I don't cover the team. And in fact, some of the smart people that cover the team think that these were wise decisions and smart moves. Okay. But to your point, you're right. David Njoku, career year. You have Nick Chubb go down right away, and that running back room does survive. And yeah, Stump Mitchell might not have gotten a lot out of some of the young backs. You know, Jerome Ford, I think, was okay. Yeah. But that's okay because you, you still went out and got Kareem Hunt and your running, back, your running game still survived. I, I'm a bit surprised. And I think that's it, – it's funny because I've, I wrote about it because it, it was just crazy news to wake up to. And to me, there are a lot of Bengals fans that are like, yeah, that's what should happen. You should put guys on notice. And I, I, I do wonder what, they, what people think these position coaches – like how much is going to change. I think the offensive coordinator one's interesting. Because to me, what that says is either Deshaun Watson, Kevin Stefanski, or both believe that the offense needs to go into a, in a different direction to maximize what he does well. And so I, I think that this, these moves overall might have had more to do with what their long-term view is of this team and might have already been made up two months ago versus them finishing with 11 wins, the idea of Joe Flacco leading them into the playoffs. And heck, a week ago, a lot of people thought they were going to make a run in the postseason. So I think that these might have been predetermined moves to change the overall offense and the overall outlook of the team moving forward. You know, as the postseason rolls on, and I was thinking about this driving in today, uh, look, you know, I, I, think, I think teams' expectations begin to change or get maybe not inside of their own room, but I think fans, media, et cetera, and, and, and what got me thinking today was there is incredible pressure, in my opinion, now, maybe more than any other team in the playoffs on the San Francisco 49ers. Because, look, if somebody would have said at the beginning of the year, or no, let, let, let's say three weeks ago, if somebody would have said, okay, let's look into a crystal ball, and for the 49ers, here are going to be the last three teams you have to beat to get to the Super Bowl. Now, most people would have said, uh, Dallas, maybe Philly would get it together, right? Somebody like that, okay? Maybe the Rams, because they were playing well, and they're in your division, okay. and they play you tough, okay? But now, all of a sudden, you're looking at, and, and no disrespect to any of these teams. They've all had outstanding years. But you have now those three teams, Detroit, Green Bay, Tampa Bay. If the 49ers don't get to the Super Bowl, I think I'm not suggesting for a second that heads are going to roll. But I mean, look, this is a team that is built to win and built to win right now. And I think the pressure has been turned up dramatically on that franchise to get to the Super Bowl. You agree with any of that? I totally. They should get to the Super Bowl. I'll take it a step farther. 49ers should win the Super Bowl. I think they're the best team. I know they lost to Baltimore. I saw that game. I think if they run it back, the 49ers will win that game because they'll run Christian McCaffrey more. They'll get the ball to their weapons in space. And, and I think that is a, a solid matchup for them, even though the results were the results the first time the two teams played. And if you like them against the Ravens, then who do you not like them against? And just looking at the remaining teams, I think they're by far the best roster. They, they have an elite head coach. I think Brock Purdy is, let's think about it here. Maybe Jordan Love is playing better than him. Outside of that, I'm, do you want to give it to Josh Allen? And I'm, I'm talking about total quarterbacks across the league, not just in the NFC. I think there's, there's no doubt about it. You're right. Aaron Donald isn't waiting for you. 
in the NFC Championship game. It is winnable games against teams that you should beat and against quarterbacks that you have an advantage against as well. It's not Matt Stafford. It's it's not some of these higher-end guys, Jalen Hurts. And so I agree with you. I think the 49ers, if they're going to do it with this iteration of team, this roster, this is going to be their best shot by far. And part of that has to do with teams like the Bengals certainly being eliminated and, and having quarterback injuries that, like they've had. So the 49ers should take advantage. I, I expect them to. I, th- I think they're going to win the Super Bowl, which I know it's early to say that. they got to win three games, but they're certainly the favorite in my eyes. All right, uh, real quick, the two AFC games. Um, you give Houston a fighting chance? They they have a chance. It's it's tough. It's tough to go there. I, I've seen it firsthand, right, with, with this Bengals yeah. team, and, and you're a young team, and you have to go on the road to – a Baltimore squad that is as good as they've been over the past few years. Obviously, Lamar's playing great. He's got some really good weapons to rely on. We'll see on Mark Andrews if he can come back, but if not, that's okay because they have plenty of weapons to lean on. And then on defense, if you're a Bengals fan watching this, you better hope Mike McDonald gets hired somewhere. Everyone's focused on, oh, Brian Callahan, should he stay, should he go? It'll be good for the offense, new eyes, all this stuff. Whatever. The best thing that can happen to the Bengals this offseason and the Bengals offense is Mike McDonald getting the hell out of Baltimore and becoming a head coach somewhere because what that would mean is you don't have to deal with him twice a year, sometimes three times a year because he's been a really tough coach to deal with for this Bengals offense. So we'll see. I I like the Ravens in the matchup, but I I wouldn't count out C.J. Stroud and company. What really stinks about this game for the Texans, Tom, is it would be nice to have a Tank Dell this week. It would be nice to have Noah Brown. You're not going to have those two guys. And they still have weapons. They've overcome it. But I think at some point it's going to be too much to overcome, and that might be this week. All right. And then there's the game that everybody is looking forward to. We've been anticipating, if not the Bengals, to be there based on the last couple of years. It's it's primarily been the trifecta of the Bengals, Kansas City, Buffalo. Now we have Kansas City, Buffalo in Buffalo. Um, I don't know about you, and I know the Bills are playing great, man. But there's no way on God's earth, James, I'm betting against Patrick Mahomes. It's it's so funny because I've seen – one, I, I get it. Bill, the Bills are going to be popular this weekend in Cincinnati. There's no doubt. People are going to want the Bills to win. At the same time, this idea that, oh, they got to come to Buffalo, and I've seen this from, from Bill's social media, ah, you got to come. Okay. Joe Burrow went up there. You think Patrick Mahomes is worried about going up there and winning? He thinks he can do it. The Chiefs certainly think they can do it. That defense believes it can travel and and slow down Josh Allen. By the way, the Bills weren't great against the Steelers. They had a couple of big plays, but it wasn't like that was a complete domination. And and so I I think they are beatable. Even at home, the key is obviously you don't want to let James Cook get going and you don't want Josh Allen to just be insane. But I think they have the secondary to slow down Stephon Diggs and company. I don't think they're going to let Khalil Shakur just – break multiple tackles. Minka Fitzpatrick had an awful game the other day. Should have tackled Josh Allen on the 52-yarder. Had Shakir in his arms, let him go for the touchdown. Two just game-changing plays that you expect your star safety to make. I think the Chiefs make those plays. So I agree with you. I'm leaning Chiefs. It hopefully will be the game of the weekend and deliver because there'll be plenty of hype. But, But I think the Chiefs could certainly go in there and win. All right, my friend, we thank you for your time today, James Rapine. And, and you mentioned you wrote about this today. Best place is SI.com, correct? Yep, 
Allbengals.com right. is, a, is a quick, quicker way to get there to the Bengals coverage for sure. Okay. All right, good. James, thanks so much for your time, man. Have a great weekend. Of course. You too. Thanks, Tom. All right. James Rapine, kind enough to join us. Always great insight from him. And hopefully he'll be kind enough to come back and join us later in the winter when we start to really break down what the, uh, what the Bengals are going to do um, during this offseason. That, uh, that tag and trade thing is an interesting thing. Mm -hmm. I just keep thinking to myself, though, and he said he doesn't think the Bengals are there, but he thinks they might get there, I think was paraphrasing yeah. what he said. Um, don't you have to make one more run at it with Higgins, Chase, Burrow? Don't you have to? I don't think, like, I, th I think I, maybe I'm misunderstanding what you're saying, but I don't think. What I mean is, what I mean is tag him this year and pay him whatever you got to pay him right. for one more, the band, one more run at it. Yeah, I, I, I don't, I don't necessarily agree with that. I don't. I don't, and I and I, I certainly don't think that if you tag and trade T, that you're not still thinking about winning a championship. Yeah. I don't think that's that's true at all. And you got to do what's best for the organization. And is holding on to T Higgins for one more year, knowing that he can't get anything in return for him after that year, is that what's best for the organization? Good point. Is is paying T Higgins who had a had a very good second half is paying him $20 million or whatever the, the tag fee would be. It's the, the combined salaries of what the top five wide receivers yep. in the league. So it'd be a lot of money. It's going to be North of 20 million. Yep. Is, is that what's best for the organization based off the year that he had? Now I still think T Higgins is a fantastic player, but yeah, it's, it's, it's about what's best for the organization. And, and if the insinuation is that if you, if you get rid of T then you're not a serious contender. I disagree with that wholeheartedly. I think that there is a, a young. I think there's already talent in that wide receiving room. Clearly, not to the to the talent that T. Higgins is. I'm not saying that T. Higgins is one of the best receivers in the league. But there's also a crop of young talent coming in the draft, and I think you can get somebody very talented in the first couple rounds. I'm. I, I've made this. I've made this uh, pretty clear. I'm in the camp that I think they should tag T Higgins and then trade him. I'm, I'm on board with that. I don't think that the Bengals will do that. It doesn't seem like something the Bengals will do. I think that's in the best interest of the organization, but I don't think it's something that the Bengals will do. T Higgins was hurt a lot this year. He Correct. only had 42 catches for 656 yards. He missed some games. But, you know, when you look at his numbers this year, I mean, really dive inside the numbers, okay? He had... 13 of his 42 catches in two games against the Steelers and against the Bills. He had 250 of his 650, so a third of his yards in those two games. Here are his yards in all the other games he played in this year. Zero against the Browns. Mm. Drops everywhere. 89 the second game against the Ravens had two touchdowns. He then went the next eight weeks without a single touchdown. Here are the yards. 21, 19, 20, 69. Big game against the Bills, 110. 36, 72, 61. Big game against the Steelers. And then the Chiefs, one catch for 19 yards. He was hurt. 
Had to come out of the game, went back in the game, had the hamstring thing. The point I'm making here is we know he's much more capable of doing a lot better things because his first two years, he's his, it was almost 1,000 his rookie year, went over 1,000 each of his next two years with 74 catches. So, you know, his average per year, those first three, are up about 72 catches per year, 71 catches per year, over 1,000 yards per year. But, but, I mean, are you – we know he's a great player sometimes. Is he a great player – Casey, I'll ask you this. Is he really worth being paid as one of the top receivers in the league? And I'm, I'm not saying the answer is he's not worth it. I'm not saying. I'm asking you. Is he really worth it? Is he really worth being paid like a top five receiver? No. Is he worth being paid like a top 10 receiver? Maybe. Top 15? Sure. Top 20. Absolutely. Absolutely. Because it's all about where we're slotting him at compared to the rest of the league. In my opinion, I think he deserves to get a big payday. I think we all agree. He's at least a top 20. I think we all agree that he's borderline top 15. We're pushing it in the top 10. Definitely shouldn't be paid like a top five. And unfortunately, because of the way the receiver market is going to go down, how it's going to all shake out. He's probably going to get paid like a top five receiver. Correct. Because he is the top receiver on the market. Mm -hmm. That being said, I think you still, like, I don't think it's a bad deal for any team to pay him like a top five receiver because the way that the cap is going up as of late, it's going to look like a steal the next year because you're going to have to pay Jamar Chase, mm -hmm. Justin Jefferson, a couple other guys moving forward that just make that deal look minuscule in comparison. $25 million a year for T. Higgins in the next year or two is going to look like a steal. I, I can almost guarantee that. It's going to look like a great deal yeah, for but whatever would, would you rather spend that money, uh, you know, James brought up, let's say a Chris Jones? I mean, when you look oh, at yeah. having Yoshi around here, oh, yeah. having your guy, your guy, downtown Charlie Brown Jones, yep, having him around here, um, you, you still have Chase around here. If you're going to spend 20-something million dollars on a player looking at the needs of this team, right. would you spend 20 million on a wide receiver or spend it somewhere else? Offensive line, defensive line. Yeah, for me, I'm not spending it on receiver. Okay. I'm not spending it on receiver, and I know that kills people. That, that, that makes me feel uh, – or that fans are going to think I don't want T. That's not really the case. It's just – I don't think it's possible to construct a roster that is as well-rounded as we want it to be if we sign T. Higgins. Now, we can sign T. Higgins and just completely forget about the defensive tackle position. Just make it irrelevant. Make it some fifth rounder every year. We just kind of supplement that and deal with it, and we'll give up big runs for the next – five years or whatever until until that contract becomes relevant. But for me, I kind of agree with James. I really like the defensive tackle market this year. I think there's a lot of good names out there. I don't think Chris Jones is coming to Cincinnati. No, no, he I just think, threw it out there. Yeah, but I like Leonard Williams, yeah, that would player. interest me. Good player. And it's not even just that. I really like the receiver draft class this year. I think it's loaded. Right. I think it's really talented. So I think you could – 
you could try to replace T. Higgins and get a receiver two in the draft class. Like that that's the thing is we don't need two number ones. All you really need is a good second option. We were just blessed to have two number one options mm -hmm. and it worked really well for us. We got to a Super Bowl, AFC Championship, yada yada. Bengals prove that they can win ball games without relying on their receivers. Yep. We saw that with Jake Browning. I mean, he targeted tight ends more than than any quarterback, I feel like, in the league. I don't have the stats directly on me, but we hardly targeted Jamar Chase and T. Higgins while he was around. So this team is very capable of running an efficient offense without having the need of, a, of two number one receivers. We know that. So we don't need to sign T. Higgins. And I know that kills people, makes it sound like we're not trying to keep our talent. And I'm, I'm a big proponent on keeping the guys that are top-tier talent. Mm -hmm. I wanted to keep Jesse Bates because I knew he was a top-three safety in the league. But at the same time, it's about how you make the best well-rounded best well-rounded team. And keeping T. Higgins is not going to allow you to do that. I think that, again, T. Higgins' best asset is that he can give Jamar Chase the space he needs to create the plays that a number one receiver like Jamar should be making. Taking T. Higgins away then puts all the pressure back on Jamar, double coverage and all that. T. Higgins is, like, like you guys have been saying, he's a number one receiver. Uh, he'd be a number one receiver for 15 teams in the league, 12 teams in the league. Um, I'm looking at the wide receiver market right now, and obviously it's going to go up. Uh, but if you look at the top 20 paid wide receivers, I mean, we have Odell Beckham Jr. and uh, Odell Beckham Jr. and Hunter Renfro making $15 million. They're the top 20. So that's the bottom of the top 20. The yeah, top he's absolutely a top 20. The top five is Tyreek Hill, Adams, Cup, Brown, and Diggs. Diggs makes 24 mil. If Higgins were to sign, he would probably get paid, what, 25? Mm -hmm. That's a number? Yeah. We're only at 25. So, yeah, that's expensive. But to answer Tom's question, if I have a choice to keep him for this year, I absolutely keep it. I take it and I go all in, whatever that means. And I try to win a Super Bowl this year with the two guys that have been a huge success. We, we, we pay our offensive line. We, 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 you said we were top six in spending yep. an offensive line. Uh, and you could argue that our offensive line this year was a bottom 12 offensive line. So I, I, I know what we can get when we spend money, and you can, you can diversify it. If Sure, if I can get a premier edge rusher, sure, I'd, I'd absolutely take that. But I don't know if they will. I'll take the I'll take what I have for sure, which is a a, a pocket aces in my in, in my back pocket here. And I'll take T. Higgins, and Jamar Chase into next season. I'll tag him. He plays. And if we lose him, we lose him. That's what I would do. It's it's about building sustained success, right? And when you have value, when you have something that can generate value, like T. Higgins still on your roster, I think you got to make the most out of that value. So the question is. Where do you get more value out of T. Higgins as a franchise going forward? Do you get more value franchising him, giving him, which would be about a $22 million contract for one year, spending $22 million, or would you get more value out of doing that and then trading him away for a second pick, second round pick, which presumably is what you'd get for a T. Higgins with a $22 million contract attached to him. So... Uh, in those two things that I think clearly you get more value out of T Higgins trade tagging and trading. I think that's, and I, and I made that point. I think that's the best course of action going forward for the Cincinnati Bengals. 
I truly do. Because after the year of T. Higgins, after one year of T. Higgins, he's going to be gone. And you get nothing for him after that. And he's always going to get more money on the open market than he'll get in Cincinnati based on the current salary limitations of Joe Burrow and soon-to-be Jamar Chase. Another team will pay T. Higgins $100 million over four years. Another team will pay T. Higgins on the low end $90 million over four years. The Bengals won't do that. So I'm trying to not put all my chips on the table for one year. I'm trying to build sustained success so that the Cincinnati Bengals can continue to succeed, not next year, but the year after that, the year after that, and the year after that going forward. And I think the best course of action is doing that by tagging and then trading T. Higgins. Because $22 million for the production that we got for T. Higgins last year, if he has the same year that he had last year, that's inexcusable. That's yeah. inexcusable. 100%. But do you think that, and again, this goes back to Tom's question, does downtown Charlie Brown Jones, does he... Seven catches last year, downtown Charlie Brown Jones. Seven. Does him and, do him and Yoshi, do him and Yoshi, uh, again, not to moneyball it, you can't replace him. No, you can can't you, build it. You can't build that in the aggregate. No, you're not going to get anything. Uh, you're not, not going to get well, the I think same. More importantly is, is you have to, when you ask that question, and before you answer it, I don't mean to interrupt. When you ask that question... You are asking that question about those two guys and whatever else you're going to do with your drafts to replace not only Higgins, but Higgins and Boyd. So this is where it's interesting, Tom. I think it is, uh, I, I think mm. I like the idea of tagging and trading T. Higgins and then keeping Tyler Boyd on for like a $5 million contract and then supplementing that with someone in the draft having the, the talent that you already have in this wide receiver room with Jamar Chase, with some bright spots that we've seen from Yoshi, with some, you know, some success from a Trenton Irwin, as funny as that sounds, and then with the promise of Charlie Jones, you get another guy in the draft. <sighs> Rumored like a guy like Brock Bowers. Yeah. Rumored like a guy, other, other first-round talent that you can get. Yeah, that's and then you keep you keep a veteran like Tyler Boyd. And I know everyone I, I threw this proposition out after the final game. Me and Casey talked about it after after they played the Browns. And I said, should we keep Tyler Boyd? Everyone's like, why the hell are you gonna keep Tyler Boyd? The reason I want to keep Tyler Boyd is because you can get him for about five million dollars. I'm not I'm not asked, I'm not saying Tyler Boyd's better than T. Higgins. That's not it at all. I'm not even trying to come close to insinuating that. Well, I can't remember the guy's name and I gotta look it up, but there's a guy out there who does and, and, and Pro Football Focus does the same thing where they do projections of free agents and what they're expected to make in the offseason. Have you seen this? Yeah. The Pro Football Focus has Higgins uh, Boyd rather getting somewhere in the neighborhood of about 15 to $18 million on a two-year deal out there on the open market. He ain't signing in Cincinnati a okay, one-year so $5 million contract. Okay, so if he's getting like $9 million a year, yeah, I'm out on top yeah, of it. Yeah, so, well, no, I think it was more like, like you, you two were talking that night after the last uh, game of the year. Right. I think it is somewhere in the seven and a half range, which I think was what you guys were talking about. Right. But, you know, you're talking about guaranteed money, another year, all those kinds of things, mm -hmm. you know, that, that's where you're going to run into some problems. Uh, and we'll get into that list a little bit because it's a good list. It's an interesting list. Yeah. Yeah. Yep. Do you, have, you have it in front of you there? I, I do have what it. What does it say on Boyd? I can't remember what it was uh, when I read it. I'm scrolling down to try to find it. He's them. down the track a little bit. They listed the top 100 free agents in football and, and their expected uh, contracts getting signed. 
I was really surprised by the DJ Reader deal. They expect somebody out there, Pro Football Focus does, injury and all, for somebody to give Reader some pretty decent money. Tom, I, I don't know how much stock you, we should put in this, but I think it's funny. Um, you can bet on certain players who they're going to play on next year. <laughs> Derrick Henry, the second lowest odds. So according to Vegas, they think the second best chance for Derrick Henry to play for next year is the Cincinnati Bengals. Yep. A.J. Brown. Yep, saw that. They think his third most likely team is the Cincinnati Bengals. So the Bengals are just in a weird spot right now, knowing that we are, we are going to have to go out and get more talent because of the the impending departures of Tyler Boyd and T. Higgins, presumably, that, they, that the Bengals are in the market to get more talent. It's just a weird, it's a weird time. Because honestly, Tom, I don't see a snowball's chance in hell that we get Derrick Henry or A.J. Brown. And, and, and to be quite frank, I don't want a guy like Derrick Henry for $18 million or whatever he's going to be due. Yeah. I don't want to pay a running back that much money. The contract projection for Tyler Boyd is two years, 17 and a half, so yeah. about $8.75 yeah. per year. That's still probably that sweet range where I would, I would be okay, comfortable with Tyler Boyd coming back. But again, I... That, to me, has already been put to bed. I think the additions of Charlie Jones uh, and and Yoshi pretty much spelled that out yeah, already. They, that, that's going to supplement the receiver three role. Right. Trenton Irwin is going to be able to, you know, supplement that. It's all about receiver two. And for me, I think tagging and trading is a great option because not only does it mean that you get potentially a second-round talent, but it gives you – it gives you ammo in case you want to trade up. In case you want to get a guy like Brock Bowers, you can do that. You can pair your number one and that two that you just got and go get a guy like Brock Bowers, who might be a top 10 mm -hmm. talent in, in, in this year's draft class. Now, luckily for the Bengals, there's not a lot of teams in front of them that need tight end. I've already looked at that. I think that's, that's, that's good, but the problem is that he's such a good weapon receiver-wise – that he's talked about like a top 10 talent. Yeah, yeah I, I, I'd but bet it, the ranch there's no way on God's earth Brock Bowers is around at 18. I mean, he's... I would bet, and I'm not a gambler, I would bet a ton of A couple of money projections have them. There, I know, but, I but agree, I'd but still make the bet. I concur. He, he's, one of good. The, he's one of the better tight ends since like Kyle Pitts, who went top five. I think he was fourth in the draft class with uh, Jamar Chase. Yeah. So for it's me, a different draft though. There's a lot of quarterbacks. And yeah, stuff like there, there's a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of receivers this draft. For me, the option, if it's Brock Bowers or T. Higgins, I think I'm going Brock Bowers. To be honest with you, right? But, it's listen. I I don't. Every time we talk about this T. Higgins thing, I don't want it. I don't want it to sound like we are belittling T. Higgins. I mean, I, I really hope that we're not coming across as thinking that T. Higgins isn't a phenomenal receiver. I just think that. It, it's it, the Bengals are in a weird position where they're trying to get value with the pieces that they have and signing T Higgins to a $22 million deal seems like a loss of tremendous value. It really does for one year of T Higgins signing him to about 22 million. I, I think that's around where he'd be if we tagged him. That seems like a tremendous loss of value. And, and I think this Bengals team can win a Super Bowl without T Higgins. I think this team can be where they were last year, the last two years, without a T. Higgins on the roster. 
especially if you if you draft in the or in the early rounds a wide receiving a wide receiver based off of just how deep this wide receiving class is. And not to mention the last three drafts each have been incredibly deep at the wide receiver. There is more wide receiving talent in the league right now than there perhaps has ever been. Than there perhaps has ever been. Every team has good as a good wide receiver. I also just did a quick little uh little little count on how many defensive tackles there were in this year's top 20 PFF. There's five. I mean, it's a quarter of the, the top 100 yep. players, five of them 20, out of the 20 are in uh, the defensive tackle spot. Guys like Leonard Williams, Chris Jones, DJ Reader, um, you know, there, there's the kid from uh, the Ravens. I, I really liked what uh, – what James had to say. I think I think that's the spot that they should really attack because they've been missing so much pressure. Um, I know we, we've talked about the edge rusher and what they might do with, with Sam Hubbard. I just don't see them cutting Sam Hubbard. So I the agree. only other option for them is to go get like a, a great mm. three-tech, someone that can pressure from the inside. There's Christian Correct. Wilkins from Miami. Uh, Justin Matabike is the guy I was thinking of in the Ravens. There's just a lot of good options. The Sam Hubbard thing is the thing that people don't want to talk about enough. They, they, yeah. they just, they I don't know why don't... they don't want to talk about it. I mean, you know, that's the stuff that just makes me crazy. Just because the kid was born and raised here. Correct. I mean, so what? He is a moving piece just like everybody else is on this team. I'm on board with you. He is what he is. He's a guy that gives you everything he's got. We love him here in the town. He's a good guy in the community. He's played his ass off here, but there comes a point in time where you have to ask a question, are we better served going in a different direction with a different player? And I don't care if he put on a Moeller High School jersey or Ohio State or Elder. It doesn't matter. Let it go. Mm-hmm. I mean, you're potentially looking at six starters on this team gone at the end of this year. And I'm going to ask the question again. It's the first time here in 24 I'm going to ask. <laughs> if you lose DJ Reader, Jonah Williams, Awuzie, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins, and who's the one I'm forgetting? There's a sixth. Free agents. Tyler, you said Tyler Boyd. You had Higgins, Boyd and Higgins. Williams. Oh, Joe Mixon. Joe Mixon. So if you if you say to yourself, okay, on offense, going into next year, now you have to replace these guys, and we don't know who that would be, but Mixon, Jonah Williams, Tyler Boyd, T. Higgins on your offense. On the defense, DJ Reader and Awuzie. How are we looking? Let me, How are we looking? Let's do a. That's the only question I'd have. Are you are, are you ready to compete with the Buffalo Bills? You ready to compete with the Kansas City Chiefs? You ready to compete in your division, where the only reason you won one game was because the other team played their third string backups? How are we looking? On, you ready for the Ravens? On January seventeenth, in the year of our Lord two thousand twenty-four, Tom. Let's do a fun game with those six players. I'm going to name the player. You tell me if they're a Bengal next year. All right, DJ Reader, yay or nay? Yes. Bang. Uh, Awuzie. Yes. Jonah Williams. No. Joe Mixon. 
That's a maybe. Tyler Boyd. No. T. Higgins. Yes. I think I agree almost across the board with you, except for Joe Mixon, I think, will be a Cincinnati Bengal next year. You think for sure he will? I think I think Joe Mixon, in in a in a, a year of, as you mentioned, a lot of uncertainty, filling holes, the easiest one to fill is just to be like, hey, Joe, you played great this year. Let's bring you back for another. It'd be a two-year deal. I, I, don't, I don't know what he's going to get. I, I, well, I, they're I, talking about so. on that list him making monster money. I read that. Jonah. Yeah, he's gonna he's gonna Monster be paid money. he's gonna be paid like a the top Joe tackle. Joe Mixon, not league. Jonah Williams. Oh, I'm yeah, sorry. sorry. Okay. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Okay. But jo- Jonah, Jonah Jonah will Williams. be paid like the top tackle in this free agent class, which might blow some of your minds. But because of the versatility that he now has with him and his car- Rolodex, and the fact that he might be one of the only young tackles in this mm-hmm. free agency class, yeah, he's gonna be sought after. That's that's why pe- people will will. Go like, what? Jonah Williams is going to be the highest paid guy, highest paid lineman this year, free agent. But that's how valuable that yep. position is. It's the second most posi- second most valuable position in football. Bar none. Yep. Obviously, quarterback's one. That's why people draft guys like Kenny Pickett in the first round, because you're trying to find your franchise quarterback. And that's why the linemen get paid the most. That's, that's why the Bengals have allotted a lot of money towards mediocre play on the offensive line is because that's the going rate when you go get free agent linemen. Which, by the way, um, I wanted to just quickly say to comment on those guys that you said were going to be Bengals next year. If that is the case, DJ, Wouzier, Tyler Boyd, or not Tyler Boyd, uh, T. Higgins, and then Joe Mixon, you're probably looking at only like $10 million to play with, and we know what they do with that $10 million. They just sit on it for the next year. So... There went your whole free agent money spending. No, he Just, was asking. Uh, I don't I mean, think he was asking me what I would do. I thought he was asking me what I think they would. Yeah, I'm I mean, just, I know. I'm just saying that's if that is the case, if that's what the Bengals do do, don't expect any big name free agents to come in then. Just, okay, all right. That's what I was saying. All right, we, look, we got all all off season to talk about this mm-hmm. stuff, and, mm-hmm. and so that's why I didn't want to go there very long. I, I, I want to shift gears and give some equal time here to uh, Xavier. Yeah. Did you go last night? I did go. And it was uh it was a fun game. It was it was a good game. Um listen, this Xavier team is appearing more and more competitive. I think you mentioned this in the monologue. They they they're playing good basketball right now. They just they just beat a Providence team by 20 on the road. They they come home and they beat a Butler team that has been playing well. They didn't play well last night. And and the thing that is uh the most surprising is that they weathered not one but two storms from Butler. Yeah. And that's that's an indicative of a team that's growing. You know, they go down 17-11 very early on. Butler looks like they can't can't miss a shot. Very similar to the to, to TCU yesterday at the beginning of the game. Looks like they can't miss a shot. And what does Xavier do to respond? They go on a 24 to 2 run over the next 9 minutes. They took a 15 point lead into the second half. Butler roars back. They tie it up. 10 minutes to play in the game. And what does Xavier do? They they just uh, they make quick work of the Bulldogs. This is a team that I think, you know, everyone laughs at Ken Palm ratings. Ken, Ken Palm thinks this is a top 30 team in the country. They still have them, I think, at 28. They have well, they're, they're 28 and 29 now after right. last night. Xavier 28, UC 29. But you're going to find out a lot about this Xavier team next week, just like you're going to find a lot about Cincinnati because they go on the road and they play – Two of the best teams in the conference, two of the best teams in the country. They go on the road and play the number one team in the country in UConn next week. 
And I believe it's Creighton. I was going to say, is it Marquette or Creighton? So they go to Creighton first, where they haven't had a whole lot of success recently, going out to Omaha, Nebraska. They haven't had a whole lot of success there. And then you go and play a UConn team that you don't match up well against, but you can win a game. And if, if, if they can sneak out one or both of those games, we can start opening up the conversation of, is this Xavier team good enough to make the tournament? Because based off of their record, 9-8, and eight, not good. Not good, but they played the fourth toughest schedule in the, in the country. And it's shown. And on top of that, they lost two terrible games, two games that you should never lose at home. But as I will bring up every single time that we talk about the Xavier Musketeers, I think Sean Miller had a, had a very telling press conference at Big East Day when he said this, isn't, this team's not going to be the same team in February as they are in November. And, I, and as a coach, it's all you can ask for. Yep. All you can ask for is to continue to get better. I think this is a Xavier team that is uh, it, going to make some noise in the Big East. It's going to continue to make some noise in the Big East if they haven't done so already. They, they, they've given Seton Hall their only loss. So we'll see. We'll see. Do they still have road games uh, at Seton Hall, the team you talked about earlier. Uh, they have the road games coming up, Creighton-UConn. They still have a road game in uh, Milwaukee against Marquette. Mm-hmm. So, and they play Butler, and eh, Butler's all right. You know, speaking of Butler, you know, I feel so bad. And, and, and I'm sure that I could dig up some articles um, to hear how he's dealt with it. But it is painful to watch Thad Mata. Tom. I mean, this man's career, I don't, I don't think people really have, maybe they have. Maybe, I don't want to sell anybody short because I haven't as, as closely as maybe I should. I mean, this guy was considered to be about 10 years ago as one of the up-and-coming great coaches in the country. He had achieved a lot at Xavier. Yeah, he had gone to Ohio eight. State, taken him to the Final Four a couple of times. Took him to the championship, championship game twice. Championship game twice. Uh, was building a powerhouse program there in Columbus. And then all of a sudden, he starts having these back issues. And it's running down his legs. And he can barely walk. Mm-hmm. And, and he had to walk away from coaching at Ohio State. He just couldn't go recruit. He couldn't practice on his feet for a couple of hours. Now, I don't know what they've done to him to kind of get him what's happened. But just watching him, it breaks your heart. Because he's always seemed like a pretty good dude. Two years ago, um, I was given tickets to go to Assembly Hall. He was... Um, I think he was an advisor to Woodson in Woodson's first year out at, I, out at IU. Was. I had no clue that he was on the staff there. No idea whatsoever. And we sit in those bleachers at, at Assembly Hall, pretty, pretty, yeah. pretty close to the floor. And I look at, I, I look to my dad and I'm like, is that that Mata? And I, I, I mean this like respectfully. This was, my, this was my opinion at the time seeing him. I was like, he looks terrible. Yeah. He looked like, I, I started Googling. Is Thad Mata sick? Like, is what what is going on with Thad Mata? Then then I found out what you alluded to those problems. And yeah, it it is it is uh, sad to see. I know Thad went out on bad terms <laughs> for in Xavier, but he's still a fantastic coach. He's still a fantastic coach, and and he, and he never you never wish ill upon a guy's health. Certainly, oh, no, no, it is no, it's no, no. it it is sad to see Thad in the shape that he is, but. Butler's a much better team this yeah, year they than they've are. been in the they past are. few years. And he's a hell of a coach. I'm just sorry to uh, – I'm really sorry to uh, see it. 
Um, okay, did we have anything else? Did you have a couple things we wanted to get to today? Do we have a letter? Do we have anything like we that? We have a letter, today? if you want it. We have a letter? We do have a letter. letter. We've had a, yeah. Casey, let it roll. It's been a while. We just got, got a, letter. a letter. We just got a letter. We just got a letter. I wonder who it's from. Casey, uh, Lindsay, it's the first time you've heard that song. Yes, it is. You need to learn all the words. It's very complicated. <laughs> well, we have a letter. As everybody knows, Lindsay hasn't uh, experienced the letter yet. But basically what happens is, is children all around the world, they send us letters uh, from their second grade classes, most likely, sometimes third grade. And, and I receive them out in the mailbox outside. And, and I read them on the show. And I, and I think this one is a good one. So today's mailbag, it comes from Sweet Little Ryan. Um, for Mrs. Day's class, Ryan is a Ryan is a <laughs> sounds like a tough class. Ryan is a straight A student, but he always fails the final exam. He does everything the right way, leads a study group, prepares to the highest fashion, but his friend little Jimmy cheats every year, and this year he set the highest score on a final in school history. Now Jimmy wants to transfer schools because the challenge isn't hard enough. Um, Ryan wants to know if you were the NCAA, would you, would, would, what would be the punishment that you would hand down to Jim, uh, Jim Harbaugh at Michigan? Tom, that was his best letter in quite some time. That's a good one. That was, that was good. That's a good one. What do you think? Why don't you answer the question today? <laughs> Come on. Why Come don't on. you answer Stop. the question today? Uh, yeah, he should be punished. But it won't matter, right? If he leaves, it just won't matter. So but, you know, this story you breaking now, yeah, though, is, is a really interesting deal. I don't know if you guys have read much about uh, this. It no. was reported no, you uh, in the last 24 hours that, look, there's a standing contract, apparently, even going back to the middle of the season that Michigan is put on the table for Harbaugh. And it's, you know, I'm sure it's to make him the highest paid coach in the country. And those numbers, I'm sure, have gone up since they've won the national championship. Now, it's being reported uh, on numerous different uh, outlets that Harbaugh is, yes, entertaining the NFL. I think we all agree that's probably where he's going to end up next year. But he does have this option over here on the table from Michigan for a pile of money. And he's earned it. Yep. I mean, make no mistake about it. I might be an Ohio State fan, but Harbaugh deserves every penny he gets from Michigan. What he's done, three straight Big Ten championships, three times in a row to the Final Four, and wins the whole thing this year. He is a phenomenal football coach. But apparently, he is now looking for some kind of, basically, exemption from termination. So what that means is, and I'm not talking down to anybody, is basically he wants to be assured that if he signs his contract and the NCAA concludes it's, listen, people forget, Michigan is under investigation right now by the NCAA for three different infractions. Not just the sign stealing thing. There are three different situations. One is being investigated by the FBI. So there's a lot going on at Michigan. Not just the Stein stealing Connor Stallion stuff. But that's the big one. Basically, he's saying, listen, I'll sign a contract, stick around, and I'll navigate through this whole thing. But if the NCAA comes out and says that 
me, Jim Harbaugh, as the overseer of this entire operation and program, which all the rules clearly and all the infractions through the years in any sport say, the buck stops here with the head coach. Harbaugh may not have known about this Connor Stallion stuff. He may not have known about this computer thing that's under FBI investigation. He may not know about the other thing that was going on. But it's all under his watch. So he is saying, if all of those things come out, and the NCAA is saying, you got you to get rid of the coach or the sanctions are going to be out of control how bad they're going to be. Harbaugh's looking for right there in a the contract. Not going to get fired. Why wouldn't he want to leave before this, though? That's the part I don't get. Can he quit or no? Can he quit Michigan? Yeah. Of course he could quit Michigan. And then, then Anybody then, can quit anything they want. But I'm, but I'm saying then, what, what, what's the punishment? Because it seems like if he were to just quit right now and he goes to the NFL, who gets punished then? Just Michigan as a school? Michigan as a school. And, and, and he is saying that, you know, because a lot of times what the NCAA will do, and I'm not saying it's what they're going to do in this case, is they'll say, hey, listen, um, here, here's the deal. If you clean house, we're going to reduce this, you know, all the people that were around, get them all out of there, whether they knew about it or didn't know about it, and starting with a head coach, right? And then nobody knows where this is going. I'm not going to sit here and say that they're going to get nailed. And no, 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 no. I don't know. I just do know that they are under investigation for three different cases. And, and sooner or later, somebody is going to pay some kind of penalty for the stuff that's going on. Mm -hmm. How severe it is, I don't know. But somebody's going to pay the price, right? And it ain't going to be Connor Stallions. <laughs> Presumably so. Presumably so. We'll see. UC should hire Stallions. Maybe we'd win a couple games. Mm. Mm. Coach Sat, bring him in. Please. Please, bring those spy glasses. Get on the sidelines in that 1920s detective outfit and go to work, son. So Get you'd be help. in favor of that. Oh, yeah. I'll take my national championship, Tom. So you're just like uh, little Jimmy. I am like little Jimmy. Ryan's friend. The shortcut. He's the shortcut king. He's setting all the records at the school. He wants to move. <laughs> all right, Tom. All right. This is how we're going to round out the show. All right. We're going to do my top five as the cherry on top. United Dairy Farmers uh, cherry on top. Casey, run that jingle. Running the jingle. Thanks, Casey. God, I had one I wanted to get to today. I wonder if this is the same thing. Oh, I'm I, I can I can assume that it is not. Well, his, his is a top five. Mine's a top five. Oh, a top five. I beg your pardon. Okay. Yep. All right. Okay. So on today's Reed's top five, it's been a couple weeks since we started one. Um, since we've done one, we'll do the first one of the new year. Um, we are going to go through after the historic win that the Cincinnati Bearcats had last night against Texas Christian University. We're going to go through the top five wins in Wes Miller's um, coaching tenure at UC. So, without further ado, here's the top five wins from the nice. Wes Miller era. Nice. Coming in go. at number five, you might forget this one. It was his fifth game ever as the head coach. They beat Illinois. Yes, indeed. They beat number 14 at the time, Illinois. Um, that was very early on. That, that stretched them to 5-0. and They played a ranked game the next night, and they lost. I believe that was to Arkansas. But um, he started out his tenure on a roll, and that was on a win um, against a ranked team at a neutral site. 
coming in at number four. Just happened a little while ago. It was the first ever Big 12 game in UC basketball history. They went out to a Utah. Yep. In Mormon country and beat Brigham Young University on the road. Did you just say Mormon country? That's there's that's a Mormon, it's a Mormon it's, school. Okay, it's Mormon right. state. Mormon yes, it school, is. Right? Yes, it is. Mormon it country. Is. It is. Yeah, out there in Utah, Tom, you were there very uh, a couple weeks ago. Right. Yeah. Absolutely. Love it. So yeah, they beat BYU on the road. It was a huge win. Absolutely huge. But still, only number four in the West Miller era. Now, one thing that you guys might not remember, and this is so important when you hire a coach. It is so important. And that is that Wes Miller won the press conference. Right when they signed, uh, they hired Wes Miller. They go, like everyone's that. like, hey, good job. You see, you did fantastic. What a great hire. This guy, previously the youngest coach in Division One basketball, bringing him in. You're going to traverse the waters of the Big 12. Yep. And so far, he's done a fantastic job. And they knew it from the get-go because that Wes Miller won the press conference. So that was number three. So coming in at number two, man, what an emotional, emotional game last night was. That's number two. TCU, they beat TCU at home. Elliot, we're shaking Betty, our head already. We know Betty where this is favorites. going. They stormed the court because their emotions just bubbled over. The fans go there and they're like, oh my God, this is this is incredible. It just bubbled. They boiled over. It, it was rumored that Zach Taylor and Jonathan India, you know, big emotional guys, big culture guys, were also in attendance there to, to help lead the students nice. through a little kumbaya session after the game was over. They had a little fire. They sat crisscross applesauce and they talked about their emotions center court after beating TCU. So that's number two. <laughs> Congratulations to the Bearcats. You, you deserve that. And coming in at number one, this is where Wes Miller leads the country. As the head coach of the UC Bearcats, he leads the country in moral victories. And last year in December in the 2022 shootout, they almost beat Xavier. Almost. Came down, <laughs> lost by a point or two. They almost beat Xavier, and everyone patted UC on the back for another moral victory. They almost did it. Xavier went on to, to go in the Sweet 16. That's something UC is very, very foreign to UC basketball. Not very foreign to, to Xavier basketball. But they had a moral victory back in 2022 at home, almost beating Xavier. So that was the top five wins from the West Miller era. Thank you, guys. You knew it was coming. Yeah, I knew it was coming. Huh? I knew it was coming. It's getting chillier over in that corner. Yeah. See, it's, it's you know, the, the cold really uh, really boosts itself when stupid is being spewed next to me. <laughs> All right, I have a cherry on top as well. okay? Now, I, you know, look. I'm okay. I, I asked a good friend of mine, just recently retired. He was the media relations director, Mike Swanson. He was uh, with the Padres for a long time. He grew up in Kansas City. Um, he, he, he was a media director for the Padres. The Colorado Rockies hired him because he was the best in the business when they started their franchise. We stole him from there with the Diamondbacks when we started our franchise. And then he went back to retire uh, with Kansas City the last 10 years or so of his career. So, you know, he posted something today on X. And he, he and I communicate often. He's an awesome guy. Um, about, you know, what happens in the playoffs in any sport, baseball, football, basketball, doesn't matter. 
There are times when there are people that are sent to these events that they have to cover the game, okay? Even if they haven't covered a team or a sport all year long. Did somebody hear this, what was asked of Todd Bowles yesterday? Have you guys heard this? I, I, no? I, did, I did hear. This was Please gonna... turn this up because this, this truly is where you say to yourself, what in the hell is going on? Roll it. Coach, you, you. Uh, looking forward towards um, Detroit. Um, the weather has been a factor in some of the playoff games, even for the most prepared teams. Uh, today, it's uh, 13 in uh, Detroit, which doesn't compare to some of the temperatures we tend to talk to. Any special plans to acclimate the team to not only uh, endure, but perform in those kind of frigid temperatures should you face them in Detroit? You do know we play indoors, right? And they got a dome. I don't um, no, nothing planned. We're, we're indoors, and we only have to be outside for 20 seconds getting off the bus, going under the thing, so we'll be okay. I tell you what, I have so much respect for Todd Bowles. Could you imagine asking Bobby Knight that question? Mm -hmm. Could you imagine asking Forrest Gregg that question? And I'm not picking on this person. I mean, it's probably unfairly. She could have been a he. It doesn't matter. Was sent to cover this event and, and went in there and, and, and was going to ask the coach some questions. But could you imagine Bill Parcells? Bill Parcells? Him getting asked that question as he's trying to get his team ready for the divisional round of the NFL play. Hey, coach, how are we going to handle the cold in Detroit? The hard-headed question. You, you do know we play indoors. <laughs> Bill Belichick, how, would, how are you going to handle the cold? He wouldn't have gone off. He's not the kind of guy that would have gone off. No. He, 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 he's just, go. that's I'll, not him. I'll tell you exactly he, how What would he say, Elliot? Go. What would he done? You would say, the question would be, Hey, Bill, you play in Detroit this week. It's negative degree temperatures up there. How are you preparing to play in the cold? We don't worry about the cold. When we play indoors for this game, I'm not worried about the cold, but we're just going to try our best and bring you out there and win the game. We're on to Cincinnati, but that's a dumb question. <laughs> Thanks for wasting all of our time. <laughs> that's good stuff. That is good. <laughs> that's good stuff. I got to give it up to Bowles, though. That's a good man. That's a good man. He could have totally, totally gone off the reservation, and he didn't. Okay. Casey? Yes, We have Tom. box lunch coming up, correct? That's correct. Is this, Reed, is this Elliot's or Elliot. Reed's data? Elliot's. That's right. You're Monday. Elliot's Wednesday, and Casey is Friday, right? That's right. Okay. All right. Well, have a great show, Casey. Thanks. Thank Lindsay, you, Tom. thank you. Elliot, Reed, good stuff. God bless. Thank you, gentlemen. Thanks, Tom. Enjoy the warmth. I envy you. I'm just looking forward to getting right through that door. Somebody asked, why don't, why don't we just open the door? Well, we have a camera sitting there. So we can't use that camera if, um, if we open the door to let some of the heat in. But today the high is supposed to be about 28. And tomorrow we're knocking on the door of 30. Right, right now it's 8. Sun's, it's always sunny in Hamilton. Amen, brother. Just waiting for the spring. I can hear the motor running.
<laughs> <laughs> All right, here we go. Box lunch right now. Have a great day.